Uh, hello, and welcome to the Disposition Podcast, an occasional podcast about basketball. Uh, that's what I've decided I'm calling it, guys. What do you think? It's good, catchy. An, an occasional podcast. So um, I have I have with me Dave. Say hi, Dave. Hello, Seth, and... Ted. And, uh, <laughs> and I was going to let you. And I, also, and I also have with me Ted. Hey, guys. Yeah, hey. Um, and we, so the playoffs are coming up. Um, and I think I wanted an excuse to think deeply about it, maybe. I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what I wanted to do. But, <laughs> As um, if you weren't going to be thinking deeply about it. <laughs> but I thought it would be fun for us to come up with some like questions that we're interested in thinking about and then to kind of like dig into those questions. So we each came up with a couple of questions. I actually just changed one of my questions at the very last second Mm -hmm. after spending the afternoon making a spreadsheet about offensive rebounding (laughs) and transition defense, which we'll get into. Um, But uh, well, okay. Like I kind of wanted to start with like the one with Dave's first question about like, the Lakers in the heat since that's like about last year a little bit and maybe could give us some context for thinking about this year. So Dave, do you want to just like say what your question, like what you're wondering about here? Yeah. Well, I mean, let me see. How... The, the, like the way you posed it was like, if the Lakers and Heat both lose in the first round, are we going to like continue to see the right. bubble championship as like, maybe we'll start seeing well, yeah, like allowing the... LeBron's propaganda that it's yeah, the yeah. hardest championship ever won when like for me the whole time it seemed like I, I was surprised how much of the media was just like absolutely not an asterisk we just had like something that was unprecedented and doesn't happen ever so yeah. like how is that not an asterisk okay it's there's an asterisk sure but it, it, i think the question is like was it harder or was it easier it was just different it was different. Okay. And so I think don't... we've, we're continuing into another season. That's different. Yes. Yeah. Um, so do you, do you think it's a fluke that the Lakers won last year? Let's start with this question. Yeah. What do you guys think? Was it a fluke that the Lakers won last year? Well, I just want to say that I agree that it's, it's really hard to quantify difficulty um, True. across like events, but the last year was like uniquely difficult. And so like LeBron, and the Lakers, they they were like the most like mentally strong or something. Like whatever yeah. unique difficulty they 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 earned that that championship. Um, yeah, that's how I feel about it. Like uh, you can say it's like a weird, it's definitely a weird one. I also, also it's funny that LeBron has this thing about like this was the hardest championship when he legitimately probably won the actual hardest championship. <laughs> yes, that is. The- <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i was thinking about well like for mental tough like the the idea that they were like mentally tough it's like i just can't help but want to like drill down in a little bit into like what the hell we're talking about like yeah like what do you mean like that they didn't like go home and quit or the fact that they were like a terrible um half court offense during the season and then a great half court offense during the postseason like I do think there is some mental toughness to the fact that all their mediocre shooters shot the shit out of the ball during the playoffs. Like, um, I don't know, but like, I don't know, like what mental toughness. Right. Well, okay. Then I'll just, yeah, please, Dave. No, you go, Dave. (laughs) No, I was just like thinking like, uh, I don't know. It's just so weird that like, yeah, the hardest part about that championship was not basketball. Yeah you know, is what a lot of people argue. So then like, you know, and I understand what you're saying, Seth, is true that like the performance was just different. I mean, me and you were very much on the boat of the Lakers might not make the playoffs. Yeah. And now this year, the Lakers might not make the playoffs, which seems right to me. Like, given a little bit of health problems, there are two, you know, they're, they're so top heavy. It's two guys. Yeah, it's two unbelievably incredible guys who were healthy and who were not, you know, visibly or like, there's no results showing that they were hurt by the scenario that everybody had to live through. Whereas other teams had got, you know, like the Clippers looked like a better basketball team through much of last year. And then 
openly said like it was really hard, you know, especially yeah. for Paul George and stuff. And the yep. performances just showed at the time yep. when it mattered. Yeah, because the Clippers were healthy against the Nuggets. I mean, like yep. they had the guys they needed to have. They just fell apart. Yeah. Yeah. Ted, so what yeah, were you I just say? feel like yeah. Sorry, Ted. I, I just think that like um, doesn't that say a little more, more about this season's volatility than than about last year's championship? That's sort of how I feel. Well, is that it's just like they, these two guys have been out for most of the second half of the season. Like, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, no, it's a good point. I mean, like they, um, the the other thing about last season's playoffs is that whatever whatever was going on in the bubble that was creating volatility, like you know, and there's like a million different factors that were like putting under the heading of like mental toughness or whatever but like i don't know there was like lots of shit going on but the truth but like i don't but maybe you know maybe catching a denver team that had to like squeak these series like the clippers were probably a better basketball team than the denver nuggets last year and the Mm -hmm. lakers didn't have to deal with the clippers they had to deal with the nuggets and then like uh for the way i don't know for like matchup stuff like Maybe the Lakers dodged a bullet playing Miami in the finals too. I I don't know. I mean, um, it's weird to say that given like what the Celtics look like this season, but um, <laughs> but I mean Miami. I mean, uh, sorry, Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's yeah. like that's another one where like you know like with all right. like if we replay this season under normal conditions, a team that dominated like Miami probably doesn't lose. The team that dominated like Milwaukee probably doesn't lose to Miami in the first round. Certainly right. not in what was it, four or five games? Yeah, yeah, five games. And yeah. bare, like shouldn't have yeah. even been. Yeah. I mean having said all that, I don't see it as like I, I definitely think it's different than other championships, yeah. but I don't think the Lakers like got inherently more lucky than most champions get. Like a, a lot of champions dodge some bullets along the yeah. way. Like, and, and I think that Miami team, I mean, the way Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler were, were playing in the playoffs last year, that's like, that's a really fucking hard team to play against. So I, yeah. I think the fact that the Lakers beat them pretty handily, um, that seems like a pretty legit win to me. Yeah. I just think like, yeah, the, it was really not that Miami wasn't good, but that I really think, we, we didn't get the performances that I think Milwaukee and the Clippers had in them, which changed the playoffs. And like, yeah. that seemed to be other stuff at, at play besides basketball. True. True. Do you guys think that could happen again this year? What specifically? Like, just like, um, that kind of, uh, um, like, I guess volatility where we're going to get teams, maybe the teams who make the conference finals aren't necessarily the teams that we think are the best. Yeah. yeah, like Ted's question, which lower seed? But yeah, like, yeah. in a well, way, I mean, like, like which less marquee team, too? Yeah, I right. mean, to me, the answer fit to that, like which lower seed is going to come out, or like which team that's not. So maybe we should make a list of like the team in the East. We're talking about the 76ers, the Nets, and the Bucks, mm-hmm. and in the West, we're talking about who exactly? <laughs> <laughs> that's. That's who, like a lower seat, or no? You're saying like, uh, yeah, marquee like who are team the favorite, or whatever. Who's well, the that favorite is, yeah. in the West right now? <laughs> yeah, that is the thing. Like the the Lakers are clearly the most likely lower seed to make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Seriously though, who is the favorite? Who are you like? If you had to pick right now, who's going to win the West? Who would you pick? I would pick uh, the Lakers. You would pick the Lakers. I would, yeah. <laughs> I guess I would too. I know, right? It's Even hard. though I also think they could lose in the first round for sure. But if they get past the first yeah. round, yeah, I'm picking the. I would pick the Clippers, but I feel insane. That seems mm-hmm. insane. Like it doesn't seem like a good idea. Yeah, like, which brings me. Yeah, which brings us to my second question which was like is this season even crazier than last season like <laughs> it just seems like like we have Phoenix and Utah which yeah. seem very Atlanta E Denver E uh, like the Iguodala Denver team you know like Utah really solid yeah. regular season teams yeah. that will be scary in the playoffs but nobody thinks they're going to win the championship mm mm-hmm. And Maybe yeah, not those even Toronto that scary teams. In the yeah. 
But yeah. yeah. Like, and then we have teams that are shells of themselves a little bit. Like the Lakers, we don't know. Like they haven't been playing together. The, yeah. the Nets, we don't know. <laughs> Well, so, okay, let me give you a list of teams to think about. And I want each of you to tell me which of these teams that I list is the most likely to win the title. Um, Mavericks, Trailblazers, Nuggets. I would say the Nuggets. Hawks, Knicks. (laughs) Hawks, Knicks. Yeah, the Nuggets out of that group for sure. So... And and I is it possible that the Nuggets would have been the favorite heading into this if Murray hadn't got hurt? Like just given how weird this season has been and how like and who's like um so many of these teams I, I'm just so stuck on like so the Celtics are done like Jalen Brown's out, the Celtics like were a team people were thinking could turn it around and it's not gonna mm-hmm. happen. Um like the um what was the other one I was thinking about? Oh, like the Nuggets with Jamal Murray. Like, <laughs> it just feels like these there. And then there's a bunch of other teams that have like these lingering injuries that we're just expecting to miraculously work out, like the Nets and the Lakers. And, and the, even like, Utah, right? And like, Utah. Yeah, yeah. Both guards right now. Yeah. It's so weird that nobody talks about them as, as like this injury because they're chugging along. Yeah. But yeah, like if Denver had Jamal Murray and won one more game than they had yep. since Jamal Murray got hurt, everybody would be like, they're a juggernaut. They can't be beat. Because <laughs> right. Right, right. they've won almost every game since, right? That's true. That's true. But yeah. um, wait, what was the other question? We were just ta- also talking about um, the question about like which lower seed. So like, yeah, that was my question. So it's still, you would still say, I, I sort of have this idea that the Mavericks could do it. But hmm. but is that that's nuts? That's no, I don't think it's totally nuts. Luca, I mean, I fell in love with Luca during that European Championship run, yeah. Eurobasket, and like yeah. if, the things he does in the clutch. And then you see it all year this year. I've been rooting yeah. against them in the clutch every game, yeah. all season, and just <laughs> getting my heart broken by Luca killing Dave, the Knicks. Dave is a pick. Knicks fan. <laughs> <laughs> Just um, murdering the Knicks lottery pick in the clutch, doing incredible like that shot. Obviously, that big shot where he's like falling forward, three yeah, pointer. Crazy. Yeah, I was watching that. I just like, yeah. <laughs> and and Ted, you were going with the Nuggets on that list too. On the list you you uh, just read out, yeah. But there are other teams I think are kind of crazy sleepers that I can't. I feel like emotionally invested in. Like what? Uh, like who, rather. I guess it's like. I really enjoyed watching the Wizards recently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the other thing is that, like, there are some names that are big names in this playing tournament. So for me, also, like, it's hard for me to say no to the Warriors. I know. They're, yeah. you know, they're not even, like, really a full team, but it's just hard to cheer to root against Steph. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I, I would throw those two. I mean, it's a silly question ultimately because I was like, who do you think will be last year's Heat? And it's probably could easily just be this year's Heat. <laughs> Yeah, you know? this year's heat, and really even Memphis. <laughs> it's true. yeah, like it's uh, just so wide open. It, that's what I mean. It just yeah. feels like such an unreal year. <laughs> like there's, we played almost eighty two games, played seventy two games, yep. and it feels like no questions are answered. We have we have like twenty teams that we could see in the finals. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> Especially with the Jazz having these like injuries that sort of yeah. put because like I think in it it given the season the Jazz had they're sort of an obvious like clear cut contender like great great on both sides of the ball um, they can like do all the stuff you need to be able to do like even though they like run this system where they get really good baskets out of their system they have guys who can break people down off the dribble like. Bogdanovich just had that like 47 point game. This like yeah. they just have like offense coming out of their ears and they've built this team that like is pretty solid defensively yeah. against different kinds of defense. Like I know Gobert does one thing really well, but they play good does defense really overall. well. <laughs> yeah, he does. Um I do I am interested in the Warriors though. I'm glad you brought that up, Ted, because like I was just blown away. Look, you know they're fifth in defense? I didn't. Incredible. They're fifth in defense. So like 
They're huh. sort of the re- in in some ways it feels like they're doing the reverse of what Utah is doing. It's like they Utah has like they had Gobert and so they were able to build the whole rest of their team like thinking about how to come up with an offense that would work knowing that Gobert was going to give them enough on defense. Mm-hmm. And the Warriors mm-hmm. are like they have a lot of solid defensive players and Steph just has to go nuts for them to have a chance basically. But he can do that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> Can he do it four times out of seven over and over again? Like probably he's been doing it all season. Like just slight, like just slightly more than half the time, like enough for them to win. He's like unbeatable kind of by himself. Like, yeah. I mean, did you guys watch the game last night? The Warriors game? I didn't watch it. I honestly did not either, but I was, I looked at the box score and I was like, Steph was one for 11 from three. Mm -hmm. And he was plus four on his like <laughs> Yeah. Well, and like then I saw like some postings about like, you know, with all the images of like set uh, Steph being surrounded by four people behind the three point line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like made to give it up. And like so yeah, that makes sense. Like he's just such a willing, good passer. And then you also have Draymond, who's like an incredible yeah. passer that if it gets to him, he's gonna set up the right thing. That's the classic Warriors yeah. move. Like Draymond yeah with a four on three is really hard to beat. Yep. Yep. It always is. It's true. Yep. Yeah. Um, and Steph with a one-on-one obviously is like impossible. Yeah. And, and that play in tournament in particular is like pretty intriguing to think about from a Steph Curry perspective. Yeah. Like given that guy's history in like one and done situations, like what he did it in college and like, <laughs> right. I don't know. It's just, Although I just think a game seven well, multiple game sevens in which Steph was not great. It's a good point. That feels different than having to just deal with that team once. Like that's dealing with them at the end of like two weeks of right. th- of thinking nothing about nothing else. Right. Like and getting in his rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can think about and plot for Steph Curry, but yeah. like you can't practice against Steph Curry except yeah. if you're playing six games before it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so rooting for them to get in the play. Like that, like a seven, eight game between them and the Lakers where they beat the Lakers and then yeah. the Lakers have to go play a, like a, 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 like a bullshit play in game against like Memphis or something. <laughs> yeah. It sounds quite fun to me. <laughs> it really I was saying that saying to you the other day, like, I just love the idea of, yeah, like Steph beating LeBron in the eight, seven, yeah. And then LeBron having to face Memphis and like Kyle Anderson or somebody hitting like five threes in the first half and LeBron just like freaking melting down and insisting on going on air. To talk about, yeah, like to, to actually get the name of the guy who came up with this play in tournament and make sure he's fired before halftime's over. <laughs> um, Okay, so uh, any other thoughts about this, like, which which like lower seed t- question? Like, which lower seed has the best chance to make a run? Well, I just want to say that, like, uh, I want to add, like, Westbrook's name to what you're saying about Curry in terms of, like, mm. very specific people in the playing tournament. It's, like, a nightmare that you have this only one game to try and stop them. <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah. Russ is probably gonna have a triple double in that playing game. Um, and, and I, I mean, think, he's you know, gonna have a triple double for sure. The question yeah. is, is he gonna make shots? Like he might like, see, like literally break somebody's neck, like diving in for an offensive rebound with his elbows out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that play he had against the Pacers the other night. Did you guys see his? Uh, he ended the game on a block. I did yes. see it, but Dave texted uh, me about it. I was so watching great. that; it was incredible. It brought me right back into like the Russ cult, like just the yes. hustle play. He came out of nowhere. He just wanted to win, yeah. you know. Yeah, he uh, was so it. far. I mean, great. he's he's an absolutely. He still remains. It's so easy to forget that he's still like an absurdly dominant athlete. Yeah, because he right. wasn't at the beginning of the year. Yeah, well, he he. It seemed like he had lost a step, but even like a version of Russ who has lost a step, 
because of his like size and strength and mm-hmm. the position he plays, it's just if you don't watch them for a while, it's like it's so easy to forget what 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 a like a bowling ball he is. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He's, and then he's Brad Beal, like, so fucking good. Like yeah. his layups are really like the only one ahead of him is is uh, Kyrie. Is Kyrie? Yeah. Like, but he's yeah. really not far behind. Like everybody's been talking a lot this week about Kyrie's like ability to finish, and like. Beal is really similar. Like yeah. he gets he gets layups up and in over mm-hmm. all sorts of defenders. It's true, it's true. Um, I feel like we owe we should talk about the Knicks for a second. Like, mm. um, they they are a really fucking good defense, and yeah, and they might be equipped to scoring in the play. I'm wondering what you think about this, Dave. Like, there there's a way. That like row they take a lot of mid range shots. Mm. Um, they're good at shooting threes, but they don't shoot a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And there's a way that like the way Rose and Randall get buckets feels like it could be pretty playoff friendly. So yes. that, like if they somehow if all of a sudden they're playing like excellent defense and their offense looks like more like an average offense rather than a sort of like below average offense. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's what we're missing. Like maybe that seems sort of a nightmare for the bucks. Like, um, yeah. Or maybe, maybe they get back into that four or five matchup in which case I don't, we'll, we'll get to the 76ers, but I just feel like that. team is. <laughs> I know they've been great. I know how great they are. I just feel like they're ripe for getting yeah. beat, beaten in the playoffs, but I don't know. Well, how are you feeling about the Knicks? Is it just like you can't think that far? It's too. I kind of can't think that far. <laughs> I was. I mean, last night's game killed me. Like, uh, well, number one, so Losing happy to the Lakers. Well, number one above everything is this insane CAA Alfred Payton thing. <laughs> like, wait, can you just explain a little bit about this? Like, what? It's so insane that like. <laughs> For like months, everybody on the team is a positive except for Alfred Payton. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but he plays like almost the whole first quarter and then just like six minutes of the third quarter. And then we play Rose for a quarter and a half straight to end the game. Like last night, Rose was terrible in the fourth quarter. Yeah. And, and, and he had no interest in bringing Alfred back, but it, it yeah. but he still plays Alfred for 14 to 16 minutes every night in the starter position and he's useless. He's like, like it's infuriating. And then young Frank got to play last night and really made a lot happen in both halves. I know you went to bed at halftime. He was even better in the second half. Yeah. Um, It does, it does seem pretty clear that they should be playing Rose and Neely Kina. And yeah. And obviously quickly has been hurt. And he, like he would have helped so much last night because they do need more offense. But Frank puts up threes and shoots yep. 45% right now. Yep. I mean, on a really small sample. Yeah. But Ted, do you have any Knicks thoughts? Uh, I just want to celebrate like the transformation of Julius Randall. Yeah. It's so that's, fun that's to watch. It came out of he just uh um totally like bloomed into like a dynamic <laughs> offensive player. And I just have always been on his corner because he's like a hustle guy. Yeah. And I just love guys who are like going after second, third chance opportunities around the room and stuff. And uh, uh, so that's been really yeah. cool. And uh, and also just I want to s- s- congratulate Dave because I know you've had some dark <laughs> moments in the past with the Knicks. You, you suffered through. You really earned Very it. few bright moments. <laughs> I feel like I I feel like at the beginning of the year I had almost Uh-oh. talked you out of. Oh. Like I had almost talked you out of the Knicks somehow. Like, you you were trying hard, I, trying to get you out of your Knicks friendship fandom. Like uh, I was trying hard. The um the Randall thing is it's it's like I can't believe what I'm seeing. I can't believe how good he is. It's it's like, ridiculous. Um, he looks. By the way, he looks taller to me. Like the better he gets at basketball, the taller he seems to be to me. Like, I think the more him. straight up he stands, because he's like prouder. Maybe. I mean, guard. He did not look out of place guarding Anthony Davis, who no. I guess should be like four or five inches taller than Julius Randle. Yeah. Like, well, maybe um, not. Maybe definitely not five. But I mean, Julius Randle like six nine, right? Six oh, eight. I at think least. of him as being like six seven, six eight. But like. 
Um, yeah, he's probably listed at six eight six nine. Um, I just like, uh, I, I, he, there was always these pieces there, but the fact that he, he's like leverage because he always seemed fast to me. Yeah, but like I, I would just love to know, did he like? Was there some work he did on like lateral quickness? Why is he a good defensive player? It's like it's very confusing to me how how bad he's been on defense throughout his career and how I just never feel like he's bad anymore. Like I don't feel like yeah. he's fucking stuff up. No. I feel like it because he the effort was always there. It's not like he was ever mailing in games. Like that guy he. Uh, if our if, since our listeners haven't gotten the privilege of playing pickup basketball with Ted, like uh, <laughs> your style, t- I like that you like Randall because he's like that's how you play. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like he he's always played really hard. It's just like I don't know. Is it, is it credit to Thibodeau for getting him to know what the right spots are? Or like I don't know. I don't really know. But the fact I have that a lot team- of theories. Do you want to share one or two? Yeah, I mean, well, I texted you last night that I think like 10% of it is yeah. the league this stopped focusing on those first steps because he travels all the time when he gets <laughs> the ball before he puts it down. Last year, he he like I think he led the league in turnovers last year and huh. he was getting at least three and a half a game dead ball, like offensive fouls because the refs hated him and mm-hmm. travels before he put the ball down and like he stopped traveling. They like him more because he's not complaining about the travels all the time. And then he's absolutely shooting better. But like, I think it all is rolling together. And then yeah, Kenny Payne and, uh, and Thibodeau are helping him so much with the defense. And there's a thing about willing. Sorry. He just, the, one of the major things was he insisted on this, like the season, the summer before last, he worked on a spin move into passing. Mm. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. A nightmare. But it was what he worked on. <laughs> yeah. And he did it all year long. Because he was like, it's gonna work. It's gonna and he just ran into a wall because he's that kind of effort guy. Yeah. And it drove Knicks fans so insane. And then he just worked on it this summer. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden he's yeah, he leads the league in kickouts for threes, I think. I, I don't know that stat, but I'm sure that's true. Cause like yeah. what it's like the thing, like, one of these guys who's a bulldozer on offense, like, the thing they have to learn is how to stop at at contact <laughs> and somehow do that weird trick that the great ones do of, like, going up with the shot as though you're going to shoot and really seeing if you can get the shot off mm-hmm. and somehow bailing on that plan when it isn't working, like, yeah. in the moment and finding somebody. And it's, like, the last step for a great like so many guys it takes so long to figure this thing out and um you know the recently uh season ended jalen brown like jalen brown is one of these guys who like hasn't quite and got quite gotten there yet he really good going to the basket but he just plows through too often and doesn't find guys and randall it's just like i can't believe these passes he's throwing out of like incredible out of these crowds sometimes. it's yeah it's really incredible his vision i think was always good but you're probably right that just having the opportunity maybe for a year on a shitty team to keep making mistakes yeah in that, and then in really that going back and trying to fix them yep yeah it seems really important yeah. anyway great it, it's he's just like i'm at the point where he's a play we dave and i were talking months ago about how it was he was he was so fun but it was such a shame that you couldn't build around him yeah and i i don't feel that way anymore it's it just seems pretty clear that yeah you can no matter what you got going on in the roster around you you can build a pretty good team around randall like yeah the fact that the defense has been yeah that the defense has been as good as it's been all year with or without mitch robinson with or without like yeah um with like derrick rose playing a shitload of minutes like whatever like they just play great defense. Like, yeah. Um, it's pretty cool. What, like, what about the Hawks? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can't, we can't take them seriously, right? <laughs> <laughs> Ted, what about you? You take them seriously? Have you been watching I, them at all? Or I haven't really been watching them. Um, and they're another team that's sort of been uh, marred by like the, volatility of, of the season because they've had so many injuries right 
mm-hmm. and now yeah. they've sort of. But th- they might have been a team that needed to have some injuries in order, like they had so they... many players that wanted to play. You think they figured some stuff out just by having open roster spots or open spots on? Yeah, the board? maybe. Yeah. I mean, minutes. Like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they're a so... weird team. They've got so much talent. Mm-hmm. But I just can't I watch Trey Young. I don't, I don't like them. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so. What is it about it? Like. He's pretty annoying. It's, it's like, weird because he's a good passer, which is like what I value most in like a player. But for some reason, I still really am annoyed by the way he like approaches offense. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's too... a go-to move is to jump in front of somebody, jump back into them, and throw yes. the ball up. Oh, I hate and that. like, no, nobody likes it. It's you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. when I used to when I was a kid, we had Daytona 500 on the Sega Saturn. And I remember that game. I was working so hard to get this race down, the final turn, like fucking Tokyo drifting. And my sister, one morning I wake up and I'd been up all night, 3 a.m., perfecting this turn. I wake up, roll out of bed like 10 a.m., go downstairs, my sister's playing, and she's like, look what I figured out. If you crash into the wall right here, it just puts you on the perfect line. And she was beating my times. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, I was man. like, that's not how. And she's like, but it works. I'm, it's just. Yeah. And I was like, Ugh. but that's like Trey Young. Uh, like and, his, his in this analogy, in, in this analogy, the playoffs are like a different race where that shit doesn't work. Yeah. Like, yeah. You have to yeah. do multiple races, not just yeah, yeah. that one. And if you didn't learn how to steer through that final corner. Yeah. Um, okay. Can I ask you guys, uh, the team I want to talk about is the bucks. Uh, My my question was sort of about the bucks, like, um, who are, who just like got through playing two of the most dominant regular seasons of all time in the last two years. And now this year, like a pretty normal, good team, but it's see, if I think about that team, it just feels like that might be the like secret contender that we're like not paying attention to. Um, I would pick. I think I would pick them to win the title right now. Wow! Um, if I had to pick one team, I think that's my team. Um, and I, am I, so like, am I putting? I guess one question I have is like um, that. It feels like it's become conventional wisdom that like uh, the playoffs and the regular season are more different now than they've ever been. And I'm just wondering what thoughts you have about that. But also just like, um, what do you think about the Bucks? Like, uh, are they contenders? Any yeah. thoughts about either of these things? Uh, I think they're absolutely contenders. and But I don't think the difference between regular season and playoffs is different. I think that it's just like a growing pains thing. Like, mm. like Shaq, like LeBron, like... Mm-hmm. You take off the regular season. You don't earn the MVP. The other players outplay you. And then you bring it in the playoffs and you win championships. Yeah. That's like been the conventional wisdom of the greatest players. But it's really hard to tell a great young player, don't play so hard in the regular season. Don't figure it out yet. Don't show them everything. Yeah. Huh. So do you think Giannis is like, taking his foot off the gas and that's why they're not as dominant i think a little bit i think they i think they've done a lot of things they tried to figure out their offense a lot and did not care about their defense because Mm -hmm. they have three elite defensive players Mm -hmm. uh in their starting lineup like truly elite and well two super elite yeah and yeah i think and one who's gonna get played off the floor (laughs) (laughs) well you you think was uh i'm talking about lopez oh well yes lopez yeah i don't consider lopez uh he's an elite rim protector yeah 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 but i don't consider him their option for late game playoffs like i think it's a mistake if that's how they're playing yeah no i agree with that ted what are your bucks thoughts well um this question i feel like is sort of addressing this like sort of like existential dilemma that the NBA regular season has, which is that like no one game is all that important. Yeah. Um, And I think like um, if teams are just going to wait until the playoffs, like how do you sell this entertainment product? 
things. Um, <laughs> yeah. But regardless, I, I did, I read something recently or I heard something about how like, you know, Giannis's minutes are once again, around like, you know, in the mid thirties or whatever for, mm-hmm. for game minutes. So he's getting the rest again. And Drew Holiday said, basically like, we love that Bud does that. Like, you know, he's new to the team this year. And he's basically saying like, yeah, it's been really great to have that, um, that, that kind of rest. Um, so I don't know, even though I like, I don't, it's really confusing that then he doesn't amp up their minutes in the playoffs. Yeah. Especially because Giannis is like the most equipped player to play 48 minutes in like the world. Yeah. <laughs> but there is something to be said for like the rest during the other season where like if these games, each one only means 1.2% of the, of the final, it, it, they have this issue where like the, the regular season is like this marathon and marathons are exciting, but you at some point are just watching people run. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they need some way of, and actually, like the playing tournament is sort of doing this at the end of the season, where it's giving meaning to these games yeah, that normally yeah. wouldn't matter that much. Um, yeah, the micro. It, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess I I think I hear what you're saying about like the rest stuff, but to me, it's like they are a team that sacrificed depth for uh, the like the the way you become like a historically great regular season team is that you kick ass with your starters, but then the bench comes in and continue. Like you mm. just are deep as hell. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's what they were doing the last couple of years is like, they had these lineups that Giannis wasn't even in. He was playing like 33 minutes a game, basically yeah, right, they had these right. lineups that made all this sense. Like when he was on the bench and they would just keep like steamrolling teams. Um, and they gave up basically like all their depth to get Drew Holiday. Worth um, it though, in my opinion. And yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, like, although I still am not sure, like, who is their five? Like, who are their best five? Yeah. Like, um, but I think the answer to that question makes more sense. I don't know. I was I was looking up, um, like, I I'm pretty sure that lineup with like Divincenzo and Holiday and. Giannis and Middleton and basically anyone who's not a center along yeah. with that group is like, Conte they've been, yeah, they've been really fucking good. Like, yeah. um, and so I don't know. I think like they can surround, um, Giannis with shooting that teams respect, I think at this point. Mm-hmm. And so like in, in these lineups where like Giannis is the five or, um, I don't know. I think they could do some interesting stuff. And if the other team isn't great offensively, you can like you can get away with some Bobby Portis time. And like, the, the, I just think they're like a way more interesting team in part because Holiday is just a terrifying defensive player. Incredible. That's the yeah. thing. Yeah, he, it's like, it's such an upgrade it's over Bledsoe. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, so even, is Giannis. Even just defensively, <laughs> which I think was like. It was hard to imagine that coming in the season. I kept thinking, like, well, Bledsoe's a really good defensive player, and Holiday's percentage shooting threes isn't that much higher. So, like, what's the big difference? But it's, like, going from – if Bledsoe's, like, a B plus, A minus, and Holiday's an A plus, like, that difference is actually huge. Like, going from really, really good to, like, mind-searingly great is – actually does make a huge difference and then if that comes with like even one percentage point better shooting three pointers right with like a with like a little more like confidence and respect involved right it, and it like feel, yeah once they got the extension uh yeah. for Giannis, then you know the picks are in the 20s yeah which makes so much of a difference with that trade yeah but i don't even care about like the like long-term ramifications of yeah, the yeah. trade in this conversation but like it's true that I think the trade like makes a lot more sense, but um, there I, they still could be like screwed on that. I mean, like, yeah, it might it might not be a great situation to be paying Giannis, Middleton, and Holiday like what is right. it going to be like one hundred and twenty million or whatever? But I don't know. I just think like um, given what they do on both ends of the floor, I think that that team would be my pick to like. If I have to pick a team to win the title, I mean, I I probably only give them like a fifteen percent chance of winning. I think it's so open. <laughs> it's so uh-huh. open. It's like, yeah. and the one problem with the Bucks is they still don't have an elite playmaker down the stretch. Like, like yeah, in you know, like 
watching those Not those Brooklyn games, like they're incredible on defense. And yeah. but like when it come when push comes to shove, you got if you have Harden, Kyrie, and Durant trying to score on one end, and then you have the Bucks team trying to score on the other, that's tough yeah. to compete with. Yeah, except I think having uh we'll see what happens but yeah but the defense I, is a big part of it but sure i still like, think Kyrie, harden and durant are that combination is going to make it easy for teams to get what they want in the playoffs but yeah like i don't and 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 middleton as a one-on might be the most underrated one-on-one scorer like, he's of great our li- of like our lifetimes but if <laughs> like, you had to pick somebody to guard him it might be durant i mm, not this year it would be it would be ben simmons but Okay, um, yeah, Ben Simmons or Giannis. <laughs> I just, I don't know. I'm gonna believe it when I see it with this Nets team, which leads us, by the way, to Ted's uh, <laughs> yeah. first. We we should talk about the Nets. Like Ted, your question is about how the importance of team continuity. Yeah. Um, do you want to elaborate? Sure. Yeah. This question is sort of like I wonder if the results of this year's playoffs will ultimately be like a referendum on how important continuity is to. Uh, like a team being successful. And, uh, you know, I, I understand you have like a lot of hesitation about the Nets, but in a world where they did win, they're like the closest yeah. thing to like a pickup team that yeah. uh, would, would have ever won a championship. And I wonder what that does say about like, because, you know, I think we're also all like, just as like a counterpoint, we're all like big fans of like those old Spurs teams that were mm-hmm. basically running like exclusively on like, uh, experience together like, like cohesion institutional knowledge totally yeah. totally uh they moved just like one entity um and uh so i don't know like uh we can talk about the nets or we can talk about this in a more general way but what are your guys thoughts on yeah that? i mean i won't i wanted to complicate the idea of continuity like this all in some ways it feels like this might be the best year to win a championship without any team continuity because mm-hmm. of all the like because yeah. nobody, nobody nobody has, has any. Yeah. Like it's hard to argue that the Lakers the Lakers just won the title last year, have basically the same roster in many ways. I don't know. I don't know about that, right? A, a very similar roster. Like um I guess. I mean Caruso two, and Kuzma, but like I would say like four out of their top six are the same. Yeah, I guess like, it is, yeah. Um I mean, I just think like and and the who was in control of possessions is is going to be the same. Absolutely. But like, yeah. um, I it's it's hard to argue they have continuity though because their best players have missed so much time and like. Uh, okay, I think the Jazz of... have continuity. I think the Jazz are te- like the the opposite end of the spectrum where like yes they they basically had success this year because they finally fully integrated Conley and like unlocked his potential yeah. and up until recently like they've been a very healthy team. Um, yeah. So so much of their like. Uh, success, uh, some of their wins, like they could just come from this fact that they have that continuity where they know what they want to do. Yeah. I get, I guess like the other, the other version of continuity that I was imagining is like um, having a great player. The jazz have this on one end of the floor, but like having a great player who organizes your shit. Um, mm-hmm. So like the way having Rudy Gobert makes life so much easier for all the other four defenders. Yeah. And like, the example I would use on offense is like what the nuggets have with Jokic where like, it doesn't matter. Like Murray, Murray gets hurt. They keep cooking. Like, um, like Shaq Harrison shows up and he like, can't do anything on offense. And somehow he even gets buckets. Like, and um, then to be fair to a team that we somehow haven't mentioned at all is Chris Paul and Phoenix too. Yeah. 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 That like, um, that's a really Chris Paul's a very interesting example of it. Maybe on both ends of the floor, like yeah, the way having someone just like bark out instructions all the time in close like, games, he holds them like it's they're just like append yeah. his appendages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a little bit, by the way, a sneaky amount of that going on with the Clippers right now with Rondo in a way that huh. I don't even really know how to talk about. Oh, but man. it's like. I can't believe how much those guys are all looking to Rondo. It's wild. Like watching a Clippers game right now, it's like he's really coaching the team out on the floor. It's I mean, incredible. Like, I would. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah, Rondo they, wins the championship this year, he becomes yeah. like a better version of Robert Ory. <laughs> like Oh, for sure, for sure. Like yeah. 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 
all the cases that you would make about Ori maybe being someone who belongs in the Hall of Fame without great career yeah. numbers. You, like it's true. Rondo's got like better career numbers and maybe a better case. Yeah, a, a, like a more, you know, in-depth participation in those championships. Yeah. Like it's not he's not a glue guy. He's like a fucking leader. Yeah. No, he is. It's true. It like um He's and the that, opposite of a blue guy. <laughs> and, yeah, it, but it, and it's strange the way the different it's just the way superstars play in this. It's like that 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 Clippers team, like even though they have Kawhi yeah. and Paul George, that that's like the thing they're missing. Sort of. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Well, I don't know. I guess like I am sort of obsessed with Jokic in this in this question. Like I'm interested in the way a, like a player who is. You, you know how, like, when Dirk won the title in 2011, I feel like we were talking a lot about unselfishness mm-hmm. and, like, that Dirk was, like, this... To me, at the time, Dirk felt like this n- new new version of unselfishness that involved shooting. Like, I had never thought about the way, like, taking a tough shot when there's nothing else there yeah. after you've explored all the other possibilities is maybe, like, the ultimate version of unselfishness. Like, yeah. not the, like... Not the shit that many great players do of taking the difficult shot, like before all possibilities right. have been exhausted, but like really looking for what's there, yeah, and then and then having like the go-to move that is a bucket, yeah. Um, and honestly, Julius has been doing that this year. Mm. I know it's true. It's true. And and many like I think it's more common now that like some of these like tall dudes who can just get off their shot whenever yeah. they want, like. Anthony Davis has some of this and like yeah. I, we learned a lot from Dirk. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Jokic is like, I just, um, I've been trying to think about what is different about Jokic this year. Like that makes him so much better. And it's that he's relentless looking for his own shot yeah. wh- while keeping the possibility of the pass. Like that dude always just wanted to pass. Right. And no, yeah, he's he, relentless looking for the greatest offensive opportunity and recognizing that yep. often it's him. Yeah, in a way, um, in a way that I think almost none of the greats even get it. Like Nash, like Nash even yeah. didn't quite get there. Was always like a little reluctant to go all the way towards shooting. And like Chris Paul is still do- like yeah. there are lots of times where you're like Chris Paul just go to get that 15 yeah. footer every time down the floor, but he doesn't quite do it. And Chris Jokic- Paul at least does it in the clutch. And yeah. Steve, but Steve Nash wouldn't. He kept trying to attack yeah. the way that he attacked all game. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think I'm just so I can't believe like the computer that Jokic is Yeah, like the way he processes offense is just I was thinking about this today. Like it must be so frustrating for him when he sees which pass should be after the pass he makes. And I like what that and it's funny when you brought up Rondo earlier, I was like, because I was having this thought like, what if? What if Jokic had a system where he said like one to pass left and two to pass right, just to give the guy he's passing to a shortcut when he knows it's another pass. And then when you mentioned Rondo, I was like, Rondo is actually someone who would do that. (laughs) Rondo wants to be actually controlling every movement on the floor. (laughs) Um, So, I, well, we should we should talk about the Nets, but can I just talk about like this post up thing I was thinking about for a second? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so like I was thinking about Jokic and Embiid, like you know, like that if Embiid hadn't gotten hurt, the big debate we'd be having right now, like at the end of the year, is Jokic versus Embiid. Like who's the who's the MVP? Kind of like who's is the current best player in the league? Like during this regular season, um. And I was thinking how both of them post up a lot, which like which is Embiid especially posts up like an absolute ton, like significantly more than anyone in the league. But um, and I but I was thinking about like what a post up does to a defense and what makes it work. And um, so Embiid like Embiid has basically everything you want because he's like so strong and he's such a great shooter, mm-hmm. but and he's a pretty good passer too. And yeah. he's been turning the ball over less this year. But like, it's true that with Embiid, there's an answer. 
if you're wondering how to guard him, the answer is you send help. Like, and and he's probably not like he might still get a bucket, but if you're really diligent about not fouling, there's yeah. a chance he's not going to see the best pass, and you can kind of guard it. And I think Jokic is this really unique version of having like eliminated the. There is no right answer to how to deal with him, like, and except maybe you got to just let him score. But it, it's not you. He'll, yeah. He's gonna score if you go one on one, and if you send help, he's gonna kill you. Like, yeah, immediately. Like these yeah. cross, these cr- no look cross court passes he's throwing to Austin Rivers every night. Now it's like, I, I, I just like I don't know what I would do if I had to guard Jokic. Like even if the teammates aren't that good, I don't know what I would do. Like, um, it's, it's just, it's, he makes it so complicated. Um, but I don't know, like, it feels to me like the post-up is coming back. Like all these defenses switching and like the, eventually with all this switching, like the only way you're getting a double team is if you get it into the post, like, right. And um, there's a, yeah. Like if, if you have Jokic against a small guy, you know, you're beat. So you have to send help. But then you know you're beat. And you're beat. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's got to be. And that is the di- that that is like the difference with the passing levels. Like you send the double to Embiid on the dribble. Yeah. And he's like a little bit rushed. He's a little bit, you know, neither of them have great handle. But right, right. Jokic, it, he doesn't need great handle on the dribble because he can just flick it with his hand anywhere he wants. Yeah. And he's got... You know, Ted, you said earlier about like Giannis being the player who's most equipped to play 48, but Jokic is the guy we've seen do it the last few years in the playoffs. Like, yeah, he just no matter how tired he is, I'm always amazed that like he'll throw a pass and he'll cut so hard. Like even when he seems to be exhausted, like he just I don't know. I'm I'm so impressed with that dude. Endlessly impressed with that dude. I uh I I, I was well. So, like, I thought about, like, the old, like, when you were, like, how do you defend him? And, like, I was, like, oh, I, I was thinking of, like, Bill Russell when he was, like, oh, just defend Shaq. I just run up and down the court and tire him out, which by appearances <laughs> seems like that's what would work with Jokic. But then, yeah, like you were saying, like, I, last year, what was it, like, the triple overtime, quadruple overtime game or he whatever? He played 68, I think. And he just kept getting it. better. Yeah. So, he looked exhausted. Like yeah. he looked like he was gonna die on the court, yeah. And the skill level went nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He he's got willpower. Um, so wait, so Ted, back to this continuity question. Yeah, yeah. the Nets. Like, what what do you think is gonna happen with the Nets? Like, what do you think? I think that you're probably right that the Bucks are sort of the front runners of these like three Eastern Conference. Um, you know, um, Titans. Um, I had this like emotional response to watching the Nets where I think I've never appreciated Durant more than I do this year. And he just, when I watch him, I get the sense that he's like the best player in basketball. Um, <laughs> yeah. Cause I watched, uh, you know, I watched those games where the Bucks beat the Nets, uh, in like back to back games. And, um, I, for some reason, even though the Nets lost, I still have this feeling of like, uh, that they were like the better team. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and so I, I guess I, for some reason, think that the Nets have a chance to win a championship, and I just am curious about what that would mean for uh, mm. how we look at like roster building. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's to me, it feels like a question of like uh, the teams that are going into a season as contenders versus the teams that are uh, like seeking out sort of relevance. Uh, like yeah continuity is always going to help you get to the playoffs like um right like the the way the jazz are able to just like plug and play depending on who's in the lineup it, it like that kind of continuity especially i think on defense is always but what, what do you guys think, think is going to happen with the nets like what is like what would your prediction be if you were t- this this what happens to them in the playoffs yeah do you think they're going to combust do you think that they're just going to be underwhelmed like what is your what, what do you envision? They lose in round two. <laughs> <laughs> I think I have a hard time thinking they hold it together yeah. in all four rounds, like injuries or chemistry. Like, um, I, yeah. and like, obviously I think about the 2011 heat 
and like how they had a whole season of playing well together. Totally, totally. But still, when they got to the finals, you could see the difference in like it's a, a good team time. versus not a team. And then they figured it out the next year, which like it, I think that Nets for sure, if they're healthy. That that Heat team had LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. Like those guys had their heads screwed on so well, you know. Yeah. Like <laughs> I just like we're we're like less than two years removed from Kyrie Irving like insisting on guarding Giannis one on one and like yeah. and just like fucking like throwing the Celtics were up one nothing in that series on a blowout and then Kyrie just like melted down. Like yeah. I still don't totally know what happened. Like and our, like Durant. And Harden are so concerned with their legacies. Yeah. And Kyrie might not be concerned with anything. <laughs> uh, well, he's, concer- he's concerned with lots of things that are good to be concerned with. They just don't have anything to do with basketball. Like, right, right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I, I think his he, head's in the right place in a lot of ways, but like. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think he's like a really smart, considerate guy for lots of things and yeah. struggles to find passion for basketball. And the shape, Even though and he's the like one of the, the greatest. <laughs> um we we should wrap up because we've been talking for almost an hour but can i just can i want to pick your brains about this like this uh this the thinking i've been doing around offensive rebounding and the opportunity to play in transition so um i did a little bit of like research so like i think the it felt like a few years ago we were on this like trend in the league where like Doc Rivers maybe was the ultimate version of this where teams were just like not even going for offensive rebounds and focusing totally on preventing transition. But and then like more and more in recent years, it seems like some teams are like crashing the glass a little bit and maybe being willing to give up more transition. So I just was interested to see like what teams are going after offensive rebounds this year and what teams are preventing their opponent from getting out in transition. And if anyone is capable of doing both and it's really interesting. So I like, I ranked the teams one to 30 on offensive rebounding percentage, like percentage of their own misses that they go get. And then I ranked them one to 30 on percentage of rebounds that lead to transition for the other team. Mm-hmm. And Basically, there's uh, there are two teams in the top ten in both, uh, and it's Memphis and Boston. Weirdly enough, mm-hmm. um, Memphis and Boston both go after offensive rebounds a lot, and they also s- manage to get back like not quite as well, but they're like mm-hmm. Memphis is fifth in offensive rebound rate and eighth in uh, oh. preventing transition, and Boston is fourth in offensive rebound rate and tenth in preventing transition. But in most cases, it's like it's really extreme. Like Golden State is last in offensive rebound rate, first in preventing transition. Yeah. Um, like, and and that's kind of like what you see. Like, um, that's sort of what you, Denver is second in offensive rebound rate. They're twenty second in preventing. Like yeah. they go for offensive rebounds, but they give up a lot of transition. And I was, I guess I just found myself thinking about, um, like, um, like the way in which offensive rebounding could be like really important in the playoffs. Um, there's two thoughts I have about this. One of, one of them is that I think offensive rebounding is an easy way to get points. And, and in the playoffs, it's harder to get points, but also you're like desperate to keep teams out of transition. And so, I'm wondering, like, what is it that these teams are doing that makes them good at that? And and maybe it's like you have Tristan Thompson on your team, so you let him go get offensive rebounds and, like, everyone else gets back. Like, maybe it's that simple. But, like, um, the other thing I find myself thinking about with offensive rebounding now is that how many years has it been since they went to the 14-second shot clock on an offensive rebound? It's, like, three or four years? Yeah, yeah. I, I think three, probably. So there's still this like conventional, if you listen to an NBA broadcast at the end of a game that's close, like the broadcasters will be like, someone will get an offensive rebound and they'll be like, oh, better pull it out, like waste some clock. And it's like a terrible idea because you don't actually have enough time to run offense. Like, yeah. You get the offensive rebound, you pull it out and you're already under 10 seconds again. Yeah, yeah. Um, And so like, I also think there's this thing going on in the league where teams don't know how to leverage offensive rebounding anymore. So it's just like, 
I'm just, basically I'm just wondering what thoughts you have on offensive rebounding and it like and who it's worth it for. But anyway, there's a lot of directions you could go here. But <laughs> Ted, <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess I would say like uh, like where I land uh, aesthetically is that I, I'm very pro just getting back always and uh, pro getting back. Yeah, yeah, just like never giving up any easy buckets. Um, yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't like those kinds of risks, but I also appreciate that some, some roster personnel it makes sense for, and probably someone like Tristan yeah. Thompson is like a good, good example of that. Or if you're gonna like have, like if you're gonna play Ennis Cantor for that's what I was just thinking. Right, right. Cantor. And, and like, you like don't let him go out, get offensive rebounds. Then what are you even doing? Like, <laughs> it's not gonna like... help you in transition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One of the most inscrutable things about rebounding is how somebody can be good at offensive rebounding and bad at defensive rebounding. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. And he's definitely like the poster child of that. Tristan. Tristan. Oh, I'm a canter. Yeah. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, like I mean, yeah. There must be somebody. Not... Cantor's better at defense. Tristan, it's like crazy how different it is. Yeah. Like, um, the other one for years, I think we thought this was true of Stephen Adams, but it turned out Ru- he was just giving Russ all the offensive <laughs> rebounds. <laughs> um, interestingly, New Orleans, of course, is number one in offensive rebound rate, and they actually do pretty well getting back in transition. And it, so it, it made me think that maybe the answer is, and I and I would I would be interested in what's going on with Denver that makes them bad at this. But like the answer might be that you just you you like relentlessly send just one guy hmm. like like you you let Jokic g- try to get an offensive right. rebound on every possession but everyone else is like religiously getting back yeah yeah um and that maybe that's the answer and i have a feeling what's going on with denver is that michael porter junior just doesn't know what the hell to do like he's so good at it but like he's so confused like and i think if you send two guys you're not you're not going to get back in transition like it's just like i don't know i think well but you I had think there is an argument yeah, yeah. for well like certainly with the knicks like uh like last night just watching frank get yeah. back and break up like yeah. semi transition like and if you have like if you have if you if if you have two people to send back like neely kina and bullock yeah then you can get, you know, the other three can go for offensive rebounds as long as, you know, you know, like, uh, I think there's something there, but it's so selective that unless you have like a really smart team that's on it all the time, I think it's safer to make the rule just get back. It, It is interesting though, that if you look at like the teams that are the best at preventing transition, so Golden State is the best there's, and then they're 30th in offensive rebounding. Houston's the second best amazingly but they're 20 28th in offensive rebounding indiana's third 26th in offensive rebounding it really like it's there aren't none of like none of the top five teams in preventing transition none of them are are going for offensive rebounds so so yeah having more people back seems like the answer but i would say for golden state it sure seems like that would have a lot to do with draymond having no interest in scoring the ball and every interest in stopping the ball. Yeah. Well, so the last thing I did in coming up with these numbers was I, I, uh, I did like offensive rebound percentage minus percent of rebounds that led to transition. And I, cause I was thinking like, um, there's gotta be an inflection point where like going for, if you're so good at getting offensive rebounds, it like might not matter how many points you're giving up in transition. And, um, it it is pretty extreme. Like, like New Orleans is on to something. I think basically, <laughs> like to be like an to if you can manage to be average in preventing transition, yeah. and you can go get a shitload of offensive rebounds. It at at that point, I think it probably starts to like work in your favor. Um, yeah, I think it's probably tough because transition points have got to be scored at such a higher rate than second chance points, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Second chance points are pretty valuable too. Yeah. But, but, but yeah, definitely when you see it, like as far as momentum and stuff, like it's soul crushing when the opponent gets like four offensive rebounds on the same yeah, play. Yeah. 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 It's true. It's a good point. Um, 
Okay, any final thoughts about any of this crap? No, I think we know nothing. Yeah, we know nothing. <laughs> so be- before we leave, just in case we don't get our acts together to talking uh, for a while, yeah. um, you got you to gotta pick to win the time. I'm going with Milwaukee right now, gun to my head. Who, who, who do you got? Gun to I'm my gonna... head? I guess I'm going Brooklyn. Okay. I'm going to say a Nets-Lakers finals, and I'll go with Nets. I feel insane yeah, saying that's, it. That, but... That's where I'm at. Like, I think the Nets and the Lakers are the safest bets. But again, like, I, I'm not putting them over, you know, 18% chance of winning yeah, the no, championship. Yeah, no, no, I hear you. All right, I'm, I'm going with Bucks Clippers. All right. Nice. We'll, I like we'll, that. We'll leave, we'll leave it at that. <laughs>